Welcome to Institutionalized, Living After Deconstruction and Promoting Mental Health. I'm your host, Josh T, and each week we'll dive into interesting topics and bring you stories from fellow travelers on the road of life. In this raw, accepting, and sometimes hilarious space, we'll ask the questions we weren't allowed to ask, challenge norms that keep us stuck in the past, and actively listen to perspectives that might be different than our own. And if we listen carefully enough, we might learn something that helps us love ourselves and our neighbors better. This is Institutionalized, Living After Deconstruction. Hey, welcome to Institutionalized. I'm here with Doug Carpenter, an uh, old friend of mine who was my junior boys club leader back in the day at uh, Tennessee Temple and Highland Park Baptist Church. Doug, how are you doing today? I am good. It is a pleasure to be on here. You know, I hadn't talked to you in probably 20 years until maybe more than that, maybe and until you reached out to me about the podcast and and your journey. And I'm really excited about hearing and talking to you about all this stuff today. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. I was a pastor uh, for 10 years at an independent fundamental Baptist church. I was all, I am also a, well, I'm currently a math teacher. I was also a math teacher uh, while I was pastoring. And I was a math teacher for about four, you know, yeah, 14 years in Tennessee, and I've just now started again here in Florida, where I'm living, uh, in between from the time that I was pastoring and being a math teacher uh, for almost two and a half, three years, my wife mm -hmm. and I were foster home parents in okay. Orlando, Florida. And so there was a whole bunch of incidents that brought us down here and that moved us around beautiful little part of florida called crystal river and oh, nice. it is yes and it is nice it's i know that y'all are frozen in and yeah. i'm suffering in 60 degree weather oh man i don't even want to i don't even want to think about that right now can't even walk outside without <laughs> getting the chapped lips instantly uh, <laughs> so what made you want to become a pastor i'm curious what made me want to become a pastor is that the joy of sharing the truths that exist about God and the truths that exist about Jesus and the truths that exist within the, the walk of a Christian, mm -hmm. it just burned inside of me to be able to tell other people to tell others about it. And it wasn't in the sense of me slamming my foot down and beating on the pulpit and yelling at people. A lot of people called my style more of a teaching and that's that's just that's natural for me. And I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And whenever our pastor left I just felt like, wow, I'd really like to step in and try it. And so I did, and I did it for 10 years, uh, had some struggles, had some surprises, had some things pop in and out, 
I'll admit doing not only teaching, but pastoring it, it took a beating on me. Yeah. That's uh, a, that's a double portion right there. Yes. Yes. And so for me to, to do both, it took a lot out of me. And in the, in, in the midst of all of that, I also decided to get my master's of divinity while mm. I was doing both. And that, that really just, it, it, it was something that, again, I just may have been going about it in the wrong way. Mm. And I suffered some health consequences uh, from it. I suffered some definitely uh, mental health issues from it. Uh, just because I, I was just doing way too much. Yeah. And, and now that I'm just doing one thing, which is, which is just the vocational part of, of providing for myself and my wife, I am realizing how much I took on and it was way too much. That's a common thread. It seems, uh, in a lot of Christian circles is the, you know, the service and the suffer for Jesus kind of yes. thing and wearing many hats. A lot of these places aren't made of money and they're just trying to make it uh, a lot of times and they just don't have the money to, yeah. to provide for these jobs. And, um, yeah. yeah and so I know that people talk about, there was a, there's a ministry and a blessing that goes along with it. Uh, but there's also you can just get you can just get burned out very quickly because you're not allowing yourself and and this is something that I've learned you got to be able to decompress on a yeah. on a daily basis on a weekly basis monthly and yearly where you have to get away ever allowed myself because I thought well I'm doing God's work. I'm doing what I feel like the, what I should be. And if I, if I had to do it over again, I probably wouldn't go to seminary uh, mm. because I am not only got my master's of divinity while I was doing both. I also got my master's in education while I was doing both. So almost six of those years, I was going to graduate school. And oh, wow. I think all of that just eventually took a toll and now i'm i mean it's it's a wonderful feeling to be able to sit back on a saturday and go this is what relaxation feels like <laughs> and i didn't allow myself to feel relaxed because then i felt like oh I, I should be doing something yeah and i'll again if i had to do it over again i wouldn't be going to school and i probably and this is something that I would probably recommend to any bivocational pastor is that you need to take you need to take a month off from pastoring or job mm. every year, at least a month, if not six weeks to get yourself just kind of rejuvenated so that you're because my church the church that i was pastoring and i don't want to say my church I, I don't like that term uh the church where i was pastoring was a group of wonderful people just just wonderful people who cared for me a lot and they provided for us 
support in every way that they could. My last year, I actually took a month uh, off in not only from teaching, but also pastoring to where I, I, I just, I couldn't do both. And during that month, I mean, I had been spending nine years of pastoring school, church. Yeah, straight through. School. Yeah. I say that that was difficult, okay, and it had its issues. But then becoming foster home parents, that was, even though that was the only job we did, that was by far the most stressful thing we ever did. And you were, and you had a bunch of kids a group of kids in a home and you live yeah. there 24 seven monitoring. Mm -hmm. I mean, yep. that is brutal. Yes. And you are, you have the, the paperwork mm -hmm. of the foster care system that you have to take care of. You have the paperwork for the organization that we work for. And then on top of that, you're trying to take care of six boys that have that, I mean, at one point we had them from nine to 16 mm. and the nine-year-old was a little young, but he also had some mental issues and, or, or mental disabilities to where he could not process mm. what was going on. And he was a sweet boy, but could just, I mean, just his, his, his young little brain just go everywhere all of a sudden. Mm. So, so yeah, there was, there was that job. And I mean, and it was 80, 85 hours a week and you, and, and that was a, a job also where the stress level was when everything was good, you were thinking, okay, what's going to go wrong. Mm. Someone's going to get upset. Someone's going to get mad. Someone's going to throw things. Someone's going to, and because kids who are in the foster care system, and this was something that, again, Becky and I wanted to do. We had wanted to do this for a very long time, either foster or adopt or uh, work uh, as a work as a group home parent. Mm. And it was fulfilling in the sense of okay when we finally started getting things down and getting things right and it was at that point that uh i was injured that we just started to feel like hey we can do this job mm. and and then for seven months i was not working and becky was trying to do it on her own and that 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 almost did her in mm. and that was that was that was a difficult time so for for myself, that was when you that was when you threw your back out and and couldn't really move that's or... when yeah that's when one of the boys uh went to attack another one of the boys and i stopped it but the big kid who was going after the little kid fell on top of me mm. And now all of my L vertebrae have a bulging, protruding some type of disc to where I have to use a walker to get around. That's tough. <laughs> yeah, it is. And with just now, after getting away from 
being foster home parents and now just working one job that doesn't require us to work 80, 85 hours a week. Yeah. Mentally, I am just now getting to the point of I, I can actually say I feel relaxed. Wow. I can't imagine going and, through that long of a time where you just feel like you can't relax. Um, I've been, yeah. I mean, I guess I can imagine I've been there in, in certain ways at certain times, but for that period of time, and it's something that I feel like we need to deconstruct masculinity a little bit in this country as well, where we just won't stop. We won't protect our rest. We won't take care of ourselves because we got to keep going. We got to will it. We got to be the sole provider or, you know, a lot of, most of the time there's more than one provider, but we take all of it on us. You know what I mean? And uh, yes, absolutely. So what does deconstruction like you, you said you went through a deconstruction phase when we talked on the on the phone, or you still are kind of in a, you know, yeah. your faith changed. And I'm interested to hear, you know, you you preached that you wanted to share the truths about Jesus and all that kind of stuff. In what ways, uh, and what was the journey like when you when you started saying, oh, all this stuff that I was born with, all this stuff that I was spoon fed, maybe I need to like look into it because not all of it's true. And that's, and probably there were, there were two parts. I am a math teacher. Mm -hmm. I love numbers. Absolutely love numbers. I love how there is, there may be multiple ways to get to an answer, but there's only one right answer. And when I would look at just the complexity of our universe and how much of just engineering went into the design and creation is absolutely amazing. But I was always told that if you believe that the earth was, earth is millions and millions and the universe is billions, if you believe that, Okay, you cannot be a Christian. Mm -hmm. I was told the same thing. Yes, and then all the and, and, so, and then all of the the best scientists in the world and people who actually like have been studying this their entire lives all are in agreement. <laughs> you know what I mean? That like yes, it's like how okay, and and it's not a conspiracy. They're not trying to. I mean, they're not these godless atheists as. Yeah. as they were made out to be a secular, like a, a an atheist. And that's another misconception. Cause like, I know so many secular humanists and so many people who are atheists or agnostic and hearing people talk about these godless people, you know, like just yeah. because someone lacks a belief in God doesn't mean that they are not a good person. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a lot of discrimination that comes from that. So like, tell me, tell me a little bit about, about, uh, what you started. Okay. Well, when I started to question and realize that, you know, there's a lot of Christians who are in the scientific world mm. who believe that Jesus is the, the way of salvation, who believe that Jesus is the son of God. And they also believe that the earth is millions of years old. The universe is billions of years old. and I think that if we try to confine God 
to he's got to do it within these amount of days, and this is the only way that we can take it, then we are, I think we're lessening God's power because mm -hmm. is it easier to hit a, a target one day away or is it easier to hit a target a million years away? It's a whole lot harder on a million years. Yeah. And yet the the more that the universe is studied and the more that we find, it's not just on a grand scale that we're engineered, but it's also on the cellular, cellular level as well. Yeah. Uh, a book by his name uh, eludes me right now, but Signature of the Cell. It was given with pages upon pages of footnotes of where he pulled this information from. And the person who was writing this book, and again, I really wish I could remember his name, but he just goes into the complexity that exists within a cell. And he never, ever truly writes that, oh, okay, this was all by happenstance. This was all by chance. He just tells, hey, this is what it is. And it's amazing. Hmm. And so when I started to realize that there were a lot of Christians who were in the scientific world who believed that or and knew and were able to confirm that, yes, the age of the earth is not 6,000 years. Then I started to wonder, okay, is there are there other things that we should be taking on in Scripture? And it was during this time that I was on Twitter. I haven't been on Twitter in a very long time, uh, but I was I was listening to what atheists were saying, yeah, and seeing what their arguments were, trying to rebut them. But there were some that I was thinking, wow, this keeps coming up and up and up and up. So probably. Probably the number one thing is that in the fundamental part of Christianity and almost in the fundamental part of any religion, it, there is this strict adherence that our sacred scripture is given by God and it is absolutely perfect. Hmm. And I started to to think in terms of Okay, well, it, and I would, and this is the second part: is what if we're wrong? Yeah. What if this isn't of God? Because the atheists who were bringing up these points, and and there were some that I felt just fell completely flat, but others had some a whole lot of validity, and pro, and it was in how we look at scripture, and and just as a side note, I can't tell you how many of my atheist friends are former fundamentalists where <laughs> there there was one particular uh friend of mine that went to Pensacola Christian College mm -hmm. and is and his dad is a pastor and he is he he's he claims he says look I'm not an agnostic I am a true in the vine atheist to where he says I do not believe there is a god and it all stems from, and this is what we were taught, Josh. Yeah. How many times did you hear growing up 
show me a mistake here in the Bible and I'll throw the whole thing out. Then that's 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 something that that really kind of got to me once I started opening my mind a little bit to and I, I heard a quote, it might have been about four years ago, and it's a really old, old one, an interview yeah. Christopher Hitchens had with yeah. uh, somebody. And he said, you strike me as someone who's never read an argument against your position ever. Yeah. I thought about that for a second. And I was like, you know, that was, that was the first, you know, 20 years of my life. And, you know, I started obviously reading arguments against my position. I'm maybe a hopeful Christ-leaning agnostic right now <laughs> where I stand, you know what I mean? Uh, I, yeah. I say I'm a cracked door or I'm open to it a little bit more, but yeah. it's, it was, it was really, really hard to realize that most of the people that taught you the, the Bible, as far as like in school or church and all that kind of stuff, they had never entertained any of those arguments. And then when you get to that realization, it's like, what do you do with that? Yeah, you. I think of so so many times where I never came to the, I, I never even questioned. Even this was even up to five six years ago, hmm. to where I never even questioned whether or not scripture was a hundred percent true and a hundred percent in error. And when I started to go to seminary there were questions that i had about particular parts in scripture that i had a huge problem with that i went to seminary hoping that they would be able to answer them so that i could then almost be rest assured that okay yes the bible is completely 100 percent inerrant and i realized that they didn't have answers for some of the harder point parts. And these are scholars that went to Ivy League schools yeah. that knew scripture that were fluent in either Hebrew or Greek. And they were saying, yeah, it's, it, it's tough to look at the Bible and not see all the human fingerprints that are on it. Give me, a, because, give me a specific passage that you think okay. is, is one of those. Numbers 31. Oh, the Midianites. Uh, yes. And the, and the Jews go in and kill all according to what is being said. Okay. According to scripture, all of the men and boys, okay, were slaughtered. So mm. all that were left were the wives sisters, daughters, and, and women. And the soldiers were given an instruction that all should be destroyed. And so when they bring back the women and children, Moses says, what are you doing? You were supposed to kill all of them. And here you've left them alive. Now, it doesn't say as to whether or not they destroyed the women and children there. But for the fact that Moses is trying to imply that God gave his approval to genocide, hmm. that's not of God. Because if something is of God, 
it would be the same in all time, in all aspects, in all circumstances. That doesn't fly. If, I mean, right now, Israel is on the verge of genocide in Palestine. Yeah. Now, I, again, this is a huge debate and we look at they're still the palestinians are still holding the hostages hamas is still promising we are going to come and destroy the jewish state israel is still bombing okay the simple fact of the matter is there's children there's yes there's innocent people human beings that have been locked into a certain area and you know it's almost like you know, I, I feel like our country got very fundamentalist uh, mm-hmm. for a long time, especially in the, you know, the 1900s and and mm-hmm. stuff. Really. Yes. And, and I don't and, feel like if we felt like we felt justified to drop an atomic bomb on on cities. You know, I just yeah. don't see how looking back what that starts, what 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 that is and knowing yeah. that like i could be completely against my government doing a certain thing and i'm just trying to have a family with you know my children and everything else and then yeah. all of a sudden boom genocide yeah like it's it's but the all bible never condemn the bible never condemns it if you're god's people right and there is an a, a mindset and i actually heard this the other day from uh, I was in a, I'm in a small Bible study, uh, and one of the people said, well, America is, is God's, uh, is the new Israel, mm. is how they said. And I could not help but say, whoa, 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 no, no, we're not. <laughs> uh, one of my, what also kind of led me to a deconstruction is the way the church reacted towards Donald Trump. Yeah. The way that it wasn't that they were just for him. They were gleefully voting for him. I had church members flying his flag in their yard. Mm. I had church members wearing make America great again. And Josh there are so many parts of America that we should not be proud. Yeah. The way that we treat, I mean, there, there's three sets of people within our world, within our nation, that the way that we treated African Americans, not only from the first parts of slavery in the 1600s, but all the way up to current situations where the other day I actually heard one of my students use the N-word. Mm. And I'm thinking, here we are in 2024, and I've got students, but I couldn't help but think, I despise that word. I hate that word. It is a terrible, terrible word. Yeah, when I was coaching basketball. The only places that we ever faced, that any of our kids ever faced that kind of language or that kind of aggression from fans were Christian schools. Yes. That was it. Absolutely. And it, and so here I am. I mean, I am in a 
I, I mean, get I get it. I'm in a rural public school, okay, here in Florida. But I just I I don't understand why people were so excited to be able to vote for that man. Yeah. Because he would say the most atrocious things, and is still saying them. But you know, back and in the day he, when Bill Clinton was was getting his, you know, getting into all his shenanigans in the Oval yeah. Office, everybody was condemning him, and it was all like, yeah. you have to have character to be the president. And then all of a sudden, Trump comes, and it's like we just we're going well, to sell I, our yeah, sell <laughs> this our guy, this guy, yeah, yeah. He's, He's been a clown for and, two decades. And and I personally, I, I in my heart of hearts, I believe the reason why, and this also played a role mm -hmm. to where not only are we looking at, okay, there's parts of the Bible that are poetic. Genesis 1, yeah. Genesis 2. That actually explains a little bit. You know, when you're reading them I and you see contradictions, if you can look at it as an actual book of poetry, as you know, even metaphorical in some sense, yeah. like, okay, I can, I can take that, but like, like the fundamentalist literalist reading, I just don't see how you can have the cognitive dissonance to like, I don't understand, you know, yeah, like, and scholars are all in agreement on what that book was, as far yeah. as those first three chapters. And so we should know better, you know, yeah, but absolutely. We're, we're, we're like, nah, nah. Yeah, because not only is in the scientific community are there are there studies and results that put the world, put the universe into millions upon billions of years old, but it's also in the genetic studies where they can look at our DNA and they can unwind it going backwards mm. so that that's why when you send your DNA sample to 23andMe, yeah. and it tells you, hey, you are 6% this, you are 5% this, you come from this background. The reason being is because they can trace our genetics back thousands of centuries. Mm. And the smallest that our that the smallest amount of humans that have ever been on the planet has been around 1200 people. Now, can I look at Genesis and go, okay, is Genesis maybe just for that part of the world? Because not only do we have the story of Adam and Eve, okay, which there very well could have been an Adam and Eve, okay, for that area to where they, that's where they settled and throughout time. Who they okay. first wrote about. Yeah, yeah. And so you, so you got Adam and Eve as, as maybe part of that area. And then you also have a flood narrative, okay, that was in that area but yet you also look around and there are hundreds of other creation stories okay that do i believe that people are uniquely made yes i do 
Okay, I believe that there is a difference between us and animals. Now, it doesn't mean that I feel like we hold dominion and we can treat them however we want. Of course, mm -hmm. but I believe that humans do have a distinction. And because of that distinction, I do believe that there is some divine input, but just being into two people who were 6,000 years ago, and this was before there was a massive flood that would have yeah. destroyed all evidence of what they did, what they were. We are only able to go back so far, okay, and and look and see what's there with before we hit, hey, there's nothing but water here or there's nothing but destruction here. To say that there was a universal flood over the entire world, I know that there's there's just no evidence for it. There's evidence for local floods, okay? But as far as a huge flood that destroyed the world, so it's not that I'm saying the Bible is wrong for having the narrative of Noah and the ark, or the Bible is wrong in having the narrative of of Adam and Eve, because if we do take, for example, that Adam and Eve had children, okay, well, who did their sons marry? Yeah, well, that's they a... would have only married their sisters. But okay? it didn't say that they had any other ones. Yeah, it, it and. There's also, if we look in the story of Cain, where he goes, where he, after he's killed Abel, he goes before God and he says, how will I be able to live? People will see me and know that I did wrong. Okay. And so God says, okay, you can go to this land that had people in it. <sighs> well, how were there people there? If they were the first ones on the planet. And two, God specifically says you can't have sex with your sister. Yeah. Okay. So it's so again, if it's of God, it's the same in all time, all aspects, all circumstances. God would not have approved of that at all. Oh man, we could uh we could probably deconstruct the problem passages of the Bible all day uh and and wonder about the mystery um yes when you when you started having these things was there any specific time that you realized i'm a pastor of a church and i'm in seminary and i just don't believe this way like when that happened what happened Thankfully, it was during COVID mm -hmm. because I was of the mindset that I did not want us to meet back up until there was a cure. Uh, uh, that's I did not want us to meet back up until then. I was holding outside services that people weren't coming to, but I was holding them on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, trying to trying to keep it out. And the pressure from that was the pressure from that was was a lot mm. 
because to keep, to keep holding services. Yeah, to to keep holding outdoor services hmm. because I mean we were getting into winter time, and I know people wanted to move inside, and I, I hate to bring this back up, but it was I I truly blame Trump and the way that he treated the pandemic, and I know that we had a lot of people in our church who voted for him, voted for him proudly. And we're listening to him on a daily basis. And also what kind of took me away was I actually started listening to people who contradicted what I believed to Mm. where I allowed myself to go in and listen and go, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't believe that. Was it any surprise that, you know, we lived in the world of Ken Ham and Kent Hovind and science deniers. Is it, was it any surprise that there was such such pushback against science? And there, there shouldn't have been. I shouldn't have been surprised by it. I believe that I should have. I mean, I look back on it now, and I am a people pleaser. Mm. And so great with with how to treat people how to talk with someone in a hospital how to talk with home how to love on someone who just lost a loved one or talk with someone who's losing a loved one that was kind of my that that was where i felt like i was doing the best work for god was when I was in those circumstances and in those ways. But also, it makes me a very bad administrator. <laughs> and, and I'll admit, I was, I was scared to actually make a statement that I don't want to join back up. And so that pressure was coming on me. And I actually, at seminary, we don't know what it was, but, and all of a sudden, I just felt my entire body just felt like I had no sugar at all. Mm. It just dropped like that. And so I went to the little cafe next door and got a bite to eat, thinking that would pet me back up. And I just couldn't. I, I, I don't know what it was, what I personally believe it was, was just a severe panic attack Mm. where I had been going and going and going, and it finally stopped me. Becky knew the amount of stress I was going under, and it was in the hospital that I just had to call my father-in-law, who was one of the deacons, and say, look, I can't do this anymore. I just, I I hate to drop it like this, but Becky and I were looking to step away at some point. Mm -hmm. We just didn't know when, because again, this, to the pastors who are still pastors of the same church, pre-COVID and post-COVID, my applause to you with what you were able to either do to 
keep your flock together, to be able to meet in safety. And I mean, if I can't tell you how much it would have crushed me if one of those members would have caught it and died. I, the, and that goes to learning and knowing those people that I love so dearly, so dearly. The thought of them dying because, hey, we got to get back in church. Yeah. I, I just disagree. Was there any, um, when you knew you had to step away and COVID related and also faith related and stuff, like, what was it like losing the community? Like, did you feel like there was a loss there? Was there, you know, almost a loss of your child, like your childhood faith? Like, yeah, yeah. That's I, I think the loss of my childhood faith came about when, because the, the, from the time that we, that I resigned as pastor to the time that we went to be foster home parents was only about four months. Hmm. So since we knew that we were leaving anyway, and because we knew that we were stepping away, it was easy because of all the pressure that all of a sudden I just felt lift off my shoulders. Mm. I wonder how many pastors, I wonder how many pastors in this country are going through similar types of like deconstructions and, and all that, but can't say anything and how, how messed up that is that your income, your, your livelihood is attached to your faith being static. You think it's common? Oh, I think it's a whole lot more common because the more that you study the Bible, whether it's in on private time or whether it's in classical classroom setting or if it's online or whatever studying you're doing, you either hit problematic passages or you hit places that you go, that's not of God, or you hit things that make you say that doesn't that's not right that's that that's not good but yet somehow to be able to to find the the good to find the lovely to find the beautiful to find the kind in scripture and be able to share it with others while at the same time you're going but wait there's other parts over here that I just don't get. And so um, I, I guess if I were to like put a number on it, I don't think I could. But if a pastor is not on some sort of progress to where if, if they are still, if they have never asked the question, what if I'm wrong? Mm. If they never ask the question, what if the Bible isn't inerrant? If they never ask the question, what if the Bible isn't completely 100% accurate? If they never ask that, they've never allowed their faith to grow. 
Mm. It's just remained so static. And I know that there are things that were taught within our independent fundamental Baptist heritage that you would have, uh, and I, I always like to use this analogy, Pastor A goes to church uh, to go guest speak at Church B, and he says something. Well, then there's someone there in Church B that goes and preaches at Church C, okay? And there's something in there that same thing is said. And then someone from C goes back to A, says the same thing that the pastor from the church heard, and now all of a sudden they're thinking, hey, wow, we're in agreement. Yeah. When in fact, all they've done is say the same thing to other people without ever allowing it to go and, and be tested. Yeah. And, and because someone asked me the other day, look up Second Timothy 2.15, to our study to show yourself approved unto God. There is that's, a very important word at the very beginning. That's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. Study, start yeah. pulling threads, and then, ooh. Yeah. I said, but is it dangerous? Like, no, does it have to be dangerous? All right, all right, cool. Okay, so. Yeah, it doesn't have to be dangerous. It Because it can be revealing. Mm. And it can be awe-inspiring. Uh, I'll let, uh, I haven't told many people this. But if I were to pastor a church again, one of our tenets would be that we would be an affirming church. Hmm. Because, one, Christians have looked and put too much emphasis in the wrong places. Where, when I was growing up, the purity culture was all that there was because uh, the Bible just states over and over how sexual purity is so important. And yes, the Bible does claim that and the Bible does say that, but it's not the most important. Hmm. When I would hear pastors preach over and over against homosexuality, if, if, if you believe that the Bible is inerrant, if you believe that it's hundred percent correct with no, contradictions then yes that is your responsibility i think you're wrong because one if you do spend a lot of time preaching on it the bible doesn't i'd love to ask a question to those people it's like why are you walking around with both eyes why haven't you stunned yeah. your rebellious kid you know yeah 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 it, it, and so and again even the 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 homosexual parts of scripture are contradictive mm -hmm. to where in the old testament if they were if they were gay okay if they were caught sleeping as a man with with a woman they were to be stoned okay but yet in romans that's not stoning is not mentioned all is mentioned is hey they'll be given to their own desires and the main reason of what we were taught is that people who are gay, they chose to be that way. Come on they now. Yeah. There. And I'm, and as someone who viewing it in the light of foster care and viewing it in the light of public schools 
and in viewing it in the light of people close to me. And human diversity in general. Yes. You know? Yes. They did not choose to be gay. Some of them even fought it tooth and nail. And there are even differences in, on how homosexuality should be treated within the church from Christians yeah. to where uh, if you read gay girl, good God. Okay. In that one, the, the main, the author who talks about her own life, it's, it's autobiographical. She discusses how she was in the, in the, in a homosexual lifestyle, in a lesbian relationship. And she was able to choose her way out. Now she says it's been very difficult to get out of it, but now she is attracted to a man. Uh, if you read the book, Washed and Waiting, okay, in that book, the, again, the author, it's autobiographical. He discusses how he is a professor at a evangelical divinity school, and yet he is gay, yet he says, my homosexuality, my attraction to men, God has put there just for me to rely more on him, mm -hmm. give in to those desires. And I think his name is Wesley. I can't remember his last name right now. And then there's a third book, okay, to where uh, the title of it is uh, Loves God Likes Girls, to where this lady said, I have fought it my whole life, and I am absolutely miserable. It is so, so hard for me to live as lonely as I am. And I know that if God is love, is, though, why would he want that for someone, yeah, you know, like yeah. love who and you so, want. Right. And in Romans, where it even says that they were given away to their own lust to where it makes it look like they chose that route. No, they didn't. Mm. It's just it's part of it. And yes, some of it may be due to abuse. And some of it just may be that, you know what? And this is where I know we're getting into really deep stuff here with gender roles. But if you look at the biological complexity that it takes to go from a non-gender baby to a gender baby, there's like 38 steps. And you're telling me that in all of those steps, if one of them doesn't go right, then what if you have a biologically, biological boy who has a desire for other men, but yet views himself as a woman? Yeah. Are, are they technically gay? Okay. It, what what do you say to the person who is biologically female on the inside but has outward male testicles? Okay, what do you say to that person? Yeah, there's and people that were I born think, intersex and have, yeah. have you know what I mean, like all kinds of stuff. It's yeah. When it's, we know, and, it's that's the thing. It's like I don't understand. It's like once once we know better, we should do better. Exactly. You know what I mean? And it's like, why, yeah. what is the, what is the big fight against knowing better when yeah. every single psychologist, every single, like all the people that are scientists 
and biologists and people that understand understand that these people exist in in the Christian yeah. environment. It's just like, oh no, no, they're sinners. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. Who are we as a church? Because one of the things that I always heard is, well, look at the gay community. There's hardly anyone who goes to church. That's not Would true. Would you go to a church? Yeah. Well, one, it's not true because yeah. they desire that same spiritual community, okay, that we have. But yet they don't want to be there with their spouse, with their significant other. They're not going to go to an and, evangelical church. No. Yeah. Okay, because one, I, I mean, this was even a question that, that I was asked directly, especially towards the end. To where, I mean, I was asked point blank, well, what would you do if two men gave men to the church and were holding hands? And I'd be like, you know what? We would love them and say, well, what if what if one had their arm around the other? Mm. They would have their arm around each other. Look. That would be just fine. That is probably kind of the last leg where I have really, really looked at, okay, how do we look at morality in scripture? And I mm -hmm. think it's got to go back to, it's got to be the same in all time and all aspects and all circumstances. And it's just not. You look at then in first Corinthians, the, uh, the mention of homosexuality, the word that is actually used was a, I don't want to use the word nickname because that's so atrocious, but it was the word that was given to the boy slaves who were used as mm. sex objects for their masters. And the word is soft. So in a sense, like you have a, like children that are young, that don't have muscle. Malakoi okay, was the word, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're soft. I had okay. a, I had a, I had a buddy on, um, he it was an associate producer. I think it's episode three. He is the associate okay. producer of a documentary called 1946 that's coming out. And and it gets into how the ESV, like they mistranslated a word yeah. and somebody caught it. And, yeah. but it was too late. It had all, it had gone out. Yeah, that kind it of stuff. And it's all out, documented yeah. from Yale Seminary. It's, it's, and yeah. I watched it and it's, it's eye-opening. You know, and yeah. a lot of it, a lot of it times, you know, I wonder how much of our religions and how much of everything is cultural, you know what I mean? Just based on people's com comfort zones and stuff like yes. religion yes. has become something that, and it's probably one of the main reasons why I've gone away so much from it has become one of the only things left that people yeah. use to justify their bigotry. Yeah. And think that think that they're right about it. Yeah. Doug, after all of this, where are you at right now? Like, how do you keep a faith intact through the deconstructive deconstruction process? I think one, thinking that God did not talk until the Torah was written by Moses is wrong hmm. because again if there is a better version of god at one point in time than there is right now 
how is that fair to to the people now if God has changed and God's the same? And so because of that, I truly believe that God spoke to people well before Moses. I mean, it's obvious he, I mean, if we even look at the story of Abraham, okay, where God spoke to him, yet there wasn't a book. God spoke to to Noah, and there wasn't a book. And so I I truly believe that God was was letting his nature be revealed. And I believe he was letting it be revealed, but yet I think people were still missing it. Where I'm at right now is that I am still a Christian. I still believe that Jesus' work on the cross is what brings us to salvation. I still believe that there are several parts of the Bible that are still inspired, that are good. But yet, I do not believe that God instantly stopped with John in the Mm. first century because people made that claim that only the first fruits of Christianity were inspired. And so that was the cutoff. And I I don't agree with that. It's like what Paul Paul wrote to Timothy, right? Was it Paul that wrote to Timothy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all scripture is given through inspiration of God. Did Paul know he was writing scripture or was he just writing a letter to one of his buddies? (laughs) Yeah, he was just writing a letter. And there's even parts of Corinthians where it says, Paul even says, this isn't of God. This is my opinion. But yet we still make it as if it's got to be God inspired. And I don't think God stopped that inspiration because why would he do that? Yeah, it's kind of. If, if, <laughs> if as, as you and I are friends, okay, it didn't take us long on some pretty deep emotional levels. Yeah. And. Even being gone and apart for who knows how many years. Close to 30, And so when we came back, yeah, close to 30. And all of a sudden, we're back, and we're talking like we've been best buds forever. Yeah. The reason for that is that you don't mind revealing who you are to me, and I don't mind revealing who I am to you. Why would God stop in the first century and say, I'm not revealing my nature to anyone else? Mm. No, he wouldn't. So what do you find because inspiration? Where do you find inspiration? Where do you think? Where do I find inspiration? Yeah, okay. Like, wow. That's now, now you're getting in. Okay. This is the nerd side of me talking right now. Okay, this is the theological love to get into the weeds and just jump on some deep stuff. I enjoy, like right now, one of the books that I'm going through is uh, The City of God by uh, Augustine of uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, Hmm. who wrote in the uh, fourth century. Isn't Isn't he the one that we have to thank for a lot of the hell doctrine? (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't think it's Augustine. It is 
the hell doctrine i think really started to clamp on uh somewhere around i think the the middle ages closer to it to where especially with uh dante's inferno yeah dante yeah we love putting whomever into the pits of hell and this was their punishment what what i believe and what gives me inspiration is that as i read of these people in hell god creates this kingdom to where the kingdom of god and this is something i i've i've it's 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 well it's very well accepted that the kingdom of god is an already and not yet so that there is community among those that desire to understand the nature of god Mm -hmm. and because of that and because of that desire and because of that 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 striving for god's goodness and because of that striving for the relational side i i truly believe that when i want to tell someone about the kingdom of god it is a kingdom where i can go and sit in a bible study full of evangelicals and you know what i can parse out and be of a help to people in there while at the same time i can go into a foster care home with kids that don't even want to believe in god and yet here i am feeling like i am there by god's calling to share to share the kingdom of god with them the best i could what does the kingdom of God mean to you? What's the kingdom of God? It is where Josh Temple and his kid and their kids and Doug Carpenter and Becky Carpenter and their kids and Christopher Hitchens and, well, I know he's passed, but his family to where we could all come and sit and commune together and us not run away if we don't convert them to Christianity. Mm-hmm. While at the same time, I believe that the best way that Christians, when, when they're living their best life, is when they're living it not for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so when I see Josh, who's struggling with COVID and depression and stuff like that. I'm not coming over there and giving you Bible verses that hopefully will make you feel better. You know, part of it is, is that I'm just sitting there quietly with you. To where you're able to just, yeah, just the presence. And so when I think about the kingdom of God, I think about bringing God's presence wherever you are going. Mm. Because that's even the the great commission. The verb is not go. The verb is a is a continuous eternal. So it's as you are going into the world, preaching and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to every creature. Okay? 
when we're doing that, it's as we're going. So that the same person that my students see in the morning and the same person that my my colleagues see here at work and my wife all see the same person. There's nothing different. And when I think about the kingdom of God, I think about someone who is bringing the presence of God with him, with her, wherever they're going. So do you believe the presence of God is within all of us? Yes. Uh, we even see it in scripture where Christ is all and in all. When we read John 1, and we go, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and nothing was made by Him, and without Him was anything made that was made. Jesus Christ was there at the beginning. And when the Spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis 1, that same Spirit dwelled within Christ. And Christ only preached at the Pharisees to everyone else he taught. And mm, that's fascinating. Yeah, to where he only preached at the Pharisees and he said, you are completely against, you're completely and 100% against who I am. Because Christ even says, in several spots, he says, you have heard it said, and we'll use a reference in scripture. But I tell you, mm. this is what you, you've heard it said. This was in scripture, but I tell you. Okay. Well, that kind of, that so, kind of flips inerrancy on its head a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's even parts of the Bible that Jesus says, nope, that's not true. Yeah. Where I see as Christ being in all. Yes, there, and people call it different things, a divine spark, whatever. But I truly believe that the nature of God is within us. Now, can we do things to destroy that presence, that nature? Yes. Do I believe that there is a punishment for those that destroyed that presence? Yeah, it's hard for me to think that Jeffrey Epstein is walking the streets of gold without any punishment of some sort. That's just kind of one of those, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And that's, and that's the other part, Josh. And I think that this is key. It was said often that Baptist preachers may have been wrong, but they were never in doubt. <laughs> so, yeah. I honestly believe that there are times to where we have to say, I don't know. Okay. Mm. I can't imagine. And if we go by our evangelical mindset, if we go by that, are you really telling me that a seven-year-old who accidentally drowns in the pool, but never prayed a prayer? Well, he knew the difference between right and wrong, and he is burning right now eternally. Yeah. For How awful the, is that? For the finite crime of existing and yeah. 
being yeah. a kid. Right. And how how in the world can we rationalize and and even Josh, if you think about your worst enemy, okay? If I'm really living the presence of God, can I really put my worst enemy in hell? No. No. Could you punish people in that way, but yet we're made in God's image? Yeah. And I, I would say, even as a secular humanist, it's it, you still look at it as no matter what they did to you, it would be unjust you know, right. forever. Cause you know, a lot of, we find out a lot of the reasons why we do bad things is trauma. You know, yeah. it's a trauma response oh. to which we with love to kids. call sin and we love to judge. I can't imagine you seeing yeah. that with those kids. Yeah. I, with, with some of those kids, I mean, they were sexually abused. They were sex trafficked. I don't know if it is a permanent burning, whatever. Yeah. I also, and we can even look in Revelation and realize that God breaks open the books, okay, of people's right and wrong actions. Why would you do that? Yeah. Well, you need to see kind of the what punishment is due. But yet, if we read Revelation, all of them are thrown into a lake of the fire. Same place. Yeah. That, all of them get to the same place. And yeah. I, I can't imagine the God of this universe being in the form of a human, living in poverty and hardship, and saying somehow that that his work on the cross was only for those who prayed a particular prayer. But yet the people in the Old Testament never prayed that prayer. Yeah. Yet we believe that his work was work backwards, but it also can't work forwards. Doesn't quite add up, does it? No. Doug, I appreciate you so much for coming on the podcast. I feel like my head's about to explode. <laughs> I love these conversations. <laughs> and uh, I do too, buddy. I love that you're willing to have them with, you know, such a sinner as me. Thank you for listening, and if you have enjoyed the conversation so far, please leave a review or a rating on whatever podcast platform that you listen to, and subscribe as well. I want to keep these conversations going. I want to interview as many different people with different perspectives as I possibly can, and just overall, just have a general conversation with a bunch of my friends. So uh, thanks again for listening, and this is Institutionalized, Living After Deconstruction.